Welcome to Jerusalem Studio Podcast. Join us to discuss the latest updates from Israel and the region. Shalom and welcome to Jerusalem Studio. Russian President Vladimir Putin's trip to Tehran last month was not aimed at getting concrete and immediate results. It was not realistic to expect Putin, Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan and their host, President Ibrahim Raisi, to settle all their differences in various issues, such as the situation in Syria. The intention was obviously to show the West following U.S. President Joe Biden's meetings with Israeli and Arab leaders that a counter-axis potentially exists headed by Russia, and it includes NATO member Turkey. Yet while Turkey's role in this triangle was quickly diminished, the most important bilateral relationship is that of Russia and Iran between two nations on the defensive over aggressive foreign policies. So is there a solid basis for the warming of ties between Tehran and Moscow, or are these just shifting sands? To analyze this, we're joined all the way from Washington, D.C. by retired Brigadier General Mark Kimmett, who is a former U.S. Assistant Secretary of State for Political Military Affairs. Thank you for joining us, General. Also joining us from Central Israel in virtual form is Amir Oren, TV7's editor-at-large, host of Powers in Play and Watchmen Talk. Thank you for joining us as well, Amir. Hello. And with us here in the studio are both Professor Zev Khanin, an expert on Russian and Middle Eastern studies at Barilan and Ariel Universities, and Colonel and Reserve Miri Eisen, who officially right now sits in for Amir Oren, even though he's with us in virtual form, as I noted, uh, who is a TV7 Powers and Play panelist, Israeli public diplomacy, security and intelligence expert at ICT at Rechman University, as well as a long list. Uh, we won't mention, of course, your entire curriculum vitae in this uh, session, but Let's uh, put the program's topic in, in focus here. To what degree is this relationship between Russia and Iran instrumental within context of current realities? We live within the Middle East. Russia is in the fifth, really, sixth month of this war against Ukraine. This has had ripple effects all over. When we're specifically talking about Russia and Iran, both of the economies are in upheaval. Iran has been under so many years of sanctions. Russia has been under sanctions from years past, since the Crimean War, under heavier sanctions today. And in that sense, they're looking outside and finding one who can find the other. What's interesting to me more than Russia is Iran. Iran until now has always been very careful not to be on this side of the other, even though it always had both the United States, all sorts of different Western countries very much against them. They never wanted to be on one of the sides. Iran likes to play the room. So I think that what we're seeing here is a waltz, which is done by both sides because they can't find other partners right now. Indeed. Last month on the 20th of July, we saw uh, President Vladimir Putin and uh, the Supreme Leader of the Islamic Republic of Iran, Ayatollah Ali Khamenei, sitting in a room, of course, not in the same uh, equal setting. Uh, they had a discussion about deepening cooperation, the necessity to do so, all the while Several weeks later, just last week on Friday, uh, we had a phone conversation between Ibrahim Raisi, the president of Iran, and uh, the president of China, Xi Jinping, during which this discussion evolved uh, more about Iran committing itself to the one China policy 
seeking to have additional Chinese uh, recognition and support in regional affairs as well as global affairs. Is this something that is evolving on the Russia Iran front, as well as uh, in, in the same context here with the uh, Chinese, uh, Professor Khani? Well, actually, what is uh, Russian president and his team is doing at the moment is a double message. One message in the side, inside the country, and uh, the second one is outside. Concerning the east side, uh, as well as outside, in some way, it is an attempt to show that Russia is not alone. It is not isolated, uh, and it has their own allies, and these allies are strong enough in order to uh, present uh, a Russian conflict and Russian invasion of uh, Ukraine as actually, which is something, uh, which is a conflict between two poles uh, of the contemporary global political map. Uh, from this point of view, for them, it's very much important to involve uh, China and Iran and everybody who is ready to say something uh, in favor of Russia. Uh, the local message is actually to the Russian public. Meantime, uh, between 70 to 80 percent, according to the polls, is actually supporting uh, the official policy of uh, Russian President Vladimir Putin, uh, including even this 20 percent of the Russian public, which is defined as a liberal. Uh, um, from uh, all this liberal public, which is actually not very much, was not very much happy with the regime, authoritarian regime of Vladimir Putin, now they're even less happy with the so-called official policy of the West, uh, of Europe and the United States. Uh, not just on the government level, but also on the personal level, because the sanctions are personal against the institutions and corporations and even uh, Russian experts and scientists and uh, uh, bankers and economists and businessmen. Uh, everybody understand, understand why it happened, but as far as they're personally are concerned, they're not happy about that. So uh, uh, we can conclude uh, that all that uh, could have some essence inside, but it could be just a declaration. General Kimmon, I'd like to ask you American perspective to the Russian efforts on the global stage, but also particularly in the Middle East and vis-a-vis -vis Iran uh, specifically. To what degree is this alarming in Washington? Well, uh, oddly enough, I don't think it's alarming in Washington. Uh, the official position and the generally accepted position inside of Washington, whether it's correct or not, is that in many ways Russia is overtaxed, overburdened, and uh, is is having a pretty tough go of it, uh, particularly inside of Ukraine. Yes, it's been propped up by the oil prices, but the fact remains is that even though there is a significant amount of public support inside of Russia for the Ukraine adventure, uh, this is not going well for Russia. Um, and uh, uh, to the comment about the poll numbers, I would, I would note that if the polls in Russia say that approval for Putin is uh, at 80% and the polls in America say that approval for Biden is 20%, uh, I think we really need to take a look at those poll numbers a little bit closer. And uh, Mr. Owen, uh, your take on the whole array of, of discussion points? Well, uh, when uh, General Kimmich was uh, a junior officer, he was obviously privy to some of the contingency planning the U.S. armed forces had in order to save Iran under the Shah from um, uh, a Soviet invasion. And um, actually, the Iranian nuclear project started because of the uh, Shah's fears that the uh, Soviets uh, would be coming uh, down from uh, the common border. Now, of course, it's Azerbaijan, but at that time it was 
the Soviet Union and in 1946, right after the Second World War, um, the uh, Soviets actually occupied this uh, particular part of Iran. So uh, this uh, uh, goes to say uh, two things. First of all, uh, these are not two co-equals. When we speak about Russia and Iran, Russia is uh, still a global power, yes, a very weakened one for the uh, reasons mentioned, but still a global power, a Eurasian one um, with um, nuclear weapons. And Iran uh, has to take care uh, of its own surroundings and uh, has to uh, worry about its regime. However, uh, one may call uh, their uh, de facto or ad hoc alliance a sorority of the sanction. Both of them are now um, on the bad side of, of mankind, just like uh, bullies in the schoolyard. They, they hang together, but their interests do not always converge. And of course, Russia, along with China, is the non-Western member of the JCPOA uh, 6 or 7, because Russia too does not want to see a proliferation of nuclear weapons uh, in a Muslim country so close to its border. Indeed. Miri? Um, as I look at it right now, let's talk for a moment about the economies. Obviously, Russia's economy dwarfs Iran, but I'm not going to say it that's obvious. Iran is a, sorry, Iran is a country that has a lot of people, over 85 million. Russia is an enormous country that does not have a lot of people. It probably doesn't have more than 140 million. When we're talking right now about Russia and Iran getting into their economy together, that's like a new stage of an interesting idea. They announced over this last week or so that they're going to have a new joint kind of currency that's supposed to be able to bypass dollars in the world, that they'll be able to do different kinds of economic exchanges with, with as if trying to get around the sanctions. I don't see China coming on board to something like that. China still sells to the entire world. It cannot afford to get off of the dollar truck. But in this sense, as I look at Russia and Iran looking for additional allies, it has an immense impact directly on us. Because at the end, Russia and Iran are the two strong powers in Syria. And Syria borders us. They're the ones that heavily impact Hezbollah. Hezbollah both in Lebanon and in Syria. So even though they're getting into bed together economically, we cannot avoid the implications of what this does, of their getting closer together, specifically directly upon us in the Middle East. Nevertheless, there were some understandings that uh, did raise an eyebrow, including the uh, transfer of goods from Russia through Iran, of course, through Armenia and Iran, all the way down to India, which would then bolster both the Iranian economy and the Russian economy. Professor Khanin, is that a viable reality in which we see both countries cooperating or deepening their cooperation on those matters uh, as a challenge to then confront them and 
challenge their own interests uh, with regard to their aggressive policies? Well, yeah. Um, uh, the answer is more yes than no, actually. Uh, they're interested to cooperate, um, but that cooperation both sides understand differently or understand according to their, their own interests. Uh, all of them are trying to gain as much profits as possible at the expense of the other side. So from this point of view, we can define them as the full-scale allies. Uh, I wouldn't say that uh, the same relations as they have between uh, uh, Moscow and Turkey, for instance, uh, they both side define each other as frenemy, like Americans say, you know. Uh, with this sort of friends, you, know, you don't need enemies. But on the other hand, uh, uh, they probably uh, are trying to, first of all, to reach their own interests. Uh, on the other hand, uh, we can see here these uh, two confronting sides in the Eastern Europe, Russia and Ukraine, and each of them uh, see or, uh, or choose other states is their sort of their role model. Uh, while Ukraine see Israel as the sort of the role model, yeah, the Russia at the moment, as Miriam said, uh, uh, chose Iran as their own role model, how they can stand vis-a-vis um, uh, -vis the sanctions, how this uh, uh, two more or less uh, uh, with uh, countries with more or less the same side of the population, 95 million and uh, much less than 140. It's official declaration of the Rostat, of the statistical, but in fact it's much less. Uh, uh, so, um, uh, and I believe that in the case that all this triangle, that they will be able somehow to involve Chinese and maybe some other countries, uh, and uh, minor allies like Syria on some other countries in the Middle East uh, to, to put them on, the, uh, uh, on their side, that could be defined as the source of the international diplomatic success. Indeed. General Kimmett, uh, Mr. Olin earlier mentioned the P5 plus one uh, the, uh, that is negotiating a reinvigoration, if you will, of the 2015 nuclear agreement or the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action. Uh, how can the United States and uh, or the uh, three European powers and the United States partake in negotiations when we see both Russia and China being party to such a, a discussion at a time when there are clear interests in Russia to maintain a certain leverage over Western countries uh, with regard to the Iranians? Yeah, sadly, I think that at this point, the view here in Washington <coughs> is that the, the people the uh, negotiations on the JCPOA, uh, while not officially dead, are pretty much dragging along with no signs of and no hope for any kind of success. So I think uh, if we're taking a look at that region, particularly what's happening in areas such as Syria and Iraq right now, uh, the Iranians are pushing out a little bit uh, as they're not seeing success at the negotiating table, we're not permitting success at the negotiating table. They're taking almost a judo-like uh, attempt at trying to work other angles uh, in order to perhaps get leverage and concession over the P5 plus one negotiators. Uh, as was said earlier, this is like a couple of schoolhouse bullies with Russia and Iran. I, I really don't think so. I think it's more like uh, being in the school cafeteria where all the cool kids and the grown-up kids are sitting at one table and they want nothing to do with these other two knuckleheads called Russia and Iran. Uh, the fact remains is you can't be flippant about it because both are either nuclear powers or aspiring nuclear powers, so they must be taken uh, seriously. But in terms of achieving anything diplomatically by this uh, diplomatic victory of getting uh, 
a bunch of people at their table instead of the cool kids' table, I, don't, I wouldn't consider that much of a diplomatic success. Mr. Olin, your analogy is challenged? Oh, it's uh, the same uh, schoolyard, same cafeteria. I, I uh, heartily join uh, General Kimmitt uh, in, in his take um, on, on the uh, metaphor. Uh, but uh, let me play a bit of uh, fantasy football uh, for a moment. Um, along with the cliché of uh, every crisis being an opportunity. Uh, if Russia um, has such leverage over Iran, maybe it can play the middleman between Israel and Iran. And uh, only earlier this week, um, uh, we had a couple of uh, developments. One was Prime Minister Lapid's announcement um, uh, in the uh, uh, transition between one director general of the Israeli Atomic Energy Commission to another, uh, he saw fit to mention that Israel has uh, offensive uh, capabilities as well as uh, quote unquote other ones. And uh, the, uh, the indication was obviously uh, um, that Tehran should uh, be deterred. The other development is that uh, both the State Department and uh, the uh, Treasury Department uh, in Washington have sanctioned um, a few additional entities uh, in the Iranian uh, petroleum industry in order to indicate that while the JCPOA uh, bargaining is continuing, um, the American side is not going to sit still. The problem is the Biden administration seems to be working with a stopwatch while the uh, Iranians are working with a calendar. And um, the uh, Biden administration has said that um, uh, ever since the month of March, that is five months ago, the same draft has been on the table with no movement. And the Iranians are obviously looking to the uh, midterm elections three months from now to see whether the Biden administration has any legs left or whether um, the entire American political system is now uh, sliding towards 2024 and the return to the GOP. You're not, you're, you don't agree with that, General? No, I 100% I agree with you on 2024. I, I have some questions about 2022. Uh, the fact remains is whether the uh, Congress, both houses, is a Republican or Democrat, uh, the chance of any nuclear agreement being signed with Iran that serves as a treaty between the two countries is, is, is zero. It's not near zero. It's not close to zero. It's zero. Uh, you could have uh, 100 Democrats in the Congress, uh, in the Senate. You wouldn't get 60 to vote for a treaty. You could have 100 Republicans. You wouldn't get them to vote for a treaty. So I think, as you said correctly, the Iranians are looking at the calendar and not at a stopwatch. But I think the calendar they're looking at is 2024 and this midterm elections is inconsequential to the nuclear negotiations. Mr. Olin? Well, yeah. Um, now that General Kimmett agrees with me, I agree with him. So uh, <laughs> had, had, we been, had we been Iran and Israel, uh, we would have had the peace on earth long ago. Right. Well, 
I'll step in. I'm going to step in and stop the peace on earth, even though it sounds so lovely at the moment as I'm listening to you, both in the virtual sense, Amir, and general overseas. And I'm thinking at the end, I come back into the Middle East. What I, Russia is Russia. That for me is a problem for the United States, for the world, let alone Ukraine. I come back here into the Middle East and I wonder, how does Iran come out stronger because of this open, strong alliance with Russia? It's not that they didn't have relations until now, but they have done something additional over the last few weeks. This idea of the economy is additional. This idea of there being perhaps that land piece that the Russians need also to connect to the East. Looking at all of these things, I always worry when Iran becomes stronger. And in this case, Amir, for once, I actually don't agree with you. I think that on one aspect, Iran is becoming weaker. I think that they're going to Russia, for me, actually shows weakness. The fact that they can't play the way they could in the past, the entire field, and do what we always call the Iranian bazaar, they're not managing to do that now. If they've arrived at a stage that they understand the dollar is not relevant, banking is not relevant, I'm going to invent a new coin with Russia, that is absolutely, as far as I'm concerned, a weakness, and we need to see it as such. Indeed. Moreover, so, uh, of course, Mr. Owen spoke about the half dozen entities that were sanctioned by the Treasury, by the State Department, two of those by the State Department. Uh, We saw also within those statements that the Biden administration kept persisting, however, that it still does so, so long as the Iranians understand that they are still eager to go into the diplomatic track and and conclude the Iranian nuclear file uh, from a diplomatic perspective. Nonetheless, the Iranians are not keen on doing so. Now, when we're talking about Moscow, it did provide now the Hamimim base uh, in Syria uh, to be an HQ for the Iranians, for the Syrian army, and for the Kurdish militias in order to confront any potential offensive by uh, the Turks in order to secure their southern borderline. How do you see that develop into a confrontation potentially that may drag additional countries in the region? So when we talk about Russia in Syria right now, including that Air Force base, we're talking about the minimum of the minimum. Russia is fighting its war right now opposite Ukraine. It has not left in that sense entirely, but allowing in additional forces into that base. That base used to be Syrian. It's not that it was always a Russian-held base. Right now, Russia is certainly playing the field, but it's playing the field in the metaphor of my colleagues from before. We're back in the in that um, inside, you know, the lunchroom and trying to bring in more of the bullies. Who are we talking about? I'm certainly not going to tout here the higher elements of um, President Erdogan into this uh, arena, into the game that he's playing within that arena. He's also trying to get back into the room. He also wants to get back into the cool kids because he was kicked out of there also himself. So there are all sorts of elements that are going on here that impact this. Well, Faisal Khanin, you spoke earlier about the fact that Uh, Moscow and particularly President Vladimir Putin is looking for that recognition, uh, both domestic and abroad. Do you see the Russians struggling at this stage in finding that recognition? Well, yeah. Uh, First of all, they're struggling and fighting for recognition uh, outside. I mean, uh, inside, it sounds like everything is okay. Uh, The funny thing is that the 70 to 80 percent of support is actually... um, 
uh, showed by the opinion polls a very anti-regime uh, uh, opinion uh, so, uh, um, uh, uh, survey associations. Uh, so those who are declared so-called uh, foreign agents. So in fact, it's very to my mind, it's very close to the fact. Uh, well, but uh, uh, concerning the recognition, yes, they need it. Uh, first of all, in Moscow, everybody, or most of them, understand, including the party of war and party of peace, you know, in the Russian establishment. Uh, party of peace is actually silent. Party of war is very loud. But uh, still, uh, both factions of the political spectrum, or uh, they call it uh, uh, two towers of Kremlin, uh, they understand that it will not continue forever. Uh, they understand that sanctions, uh, sanctions, uh, sanctions will start working at a certain point. Uh, so they need by that moment that it will start, they will need like a strong understanding and recognition that they can sell, that we are not alone. Um, uh, that one point. And the second point actually is there now at the moment, uh, if to continue this uh, fruitful illusion of the colleagues, you know, uh, uh, they are um, thinking about the time when uh, getting out of this dining room, they have to invite takeaway, uh, meaning that the takeaway is actually to, to take resources from every possible place, including Syria. But they understand perfectly well that they, any step they do uh, and withdraw, disengage, this is open space for their best friends like Syria, uh, like, sorry, Iran, uh, which means that, that they have to be uh, uh, trying to find the way between being careful and to do everything in their power to, to be representable. We're drawing near to the end of the program, uh, less than two and a half minutes. I'd like to have a closing sentence from each and every one of you. General Kimmett, with, we'll start with you. I think one of the areas we didn't discuss, uh, which is very much contemporaneous, is the one area where both Iran and Russia may diverge, which is what is happening in Baghdad right now with the occupation of the uh, parliament, uh, with the Shia house uh, in disorder fighting each other. It's clear that the Russians prefer uh, the side of the, the Sunni Arabs in the region. That's where they want to have their influence. It's clear that the Iranians uh, want to have influence with the Shia elements inside of Iraq. So where there may be a lot of cooperation, there is certainly divergence right now in the Russian policy and the Iranian policy and what's happening today inside of Baghdad. Indeed. Mr. Owen? The uh, nightmare scenario for the Israeli defense establishment I, and its low probability, and I can tick off the counter arguments from both Moscow and Tehran, but nevertheless, imagine if there is a defense pact where Russia declares that any attack on Iranian soil would be tantamount to an attack on Russia itself. That would obviously impair Israeli deterrence vis-a-vis -vis Iran. Professor Khanin, shortly. Well, uh, it's interesting that in the course of this discussion, we even we hardly mentioned Ukraine, uh, but but it's a sort of a uh, it's a sort of a uh, um, like. Um, a, a point of the discussion, but not the, 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 the independent subject of the thing. I think we should take also this point into account, what Ukrainians think, what Ukrainians do, and what people and what the world is ready to do about them. Absolutely. Colonel Eisen? I sit here as a worried Israeli. It's not just defense. It's political. Israel and Russia have important aspects that combine us. And I fear that this closer alliance between Russia and Iran can have a very adverse aspect, not just on the defense aspect of us being able to attack both in Syria against all of those different elements, let alone in Lebanon, let alone Iran, but also on the political sphere. Indeed. Well, this is all the time that we have for today. So I'd like to thank General Kimmett, Mr. Owen, 
Professor Hanin and Colonel Eisen for being part of today's program, and I'd like to thank our viewers as well, and we will see you next time. Thank you for joining us in another Jerusalem Studio podcast. For more content on Israel and its region, we invite you to visit our website at tv7israelnews.com and follow us on social media.